So we're glad, glad to have it. I'm glad you're here today on this Wednesday night. Thankful for what God has been doing. And uh, we had some good, good church Sunday. Ian Way got the Holy Ghost. He's, uh, he's pretty pumped about that. And uh, we're going to be praying for the Ways and the Sanhydricks, for the Robert Way passed away uh, yesterday. And, uh, but, but before he passed, he got to hear that Ian got, got the Holy Ghost. And on Tuesday, I went up to see him at the hospital. And uh, he, I, I'm not, not real sure how much he understood or, or comprehended, but, but Ian made it very clear that he's getting baptized on Mother's Day. I think Aiden too, but they're getting baptized on Mother's Day. And so before he passed, he got to hear that from his grandkids. And uh, Serena Ojo received the Holy Ghost on Sunday. Just some good things that are happening around here. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know. I, lately, I can't seem to preach without a song. So I figure we're going to have a song here. So I, I let those that didn't know the song leave from the praise team, whoever that might be. And those that know the song are allowed to stay. So that's kind of how it is. How many of you remember that old hymn? And it goes with what I want to preach today. How many remember that old hymn, Joy Unspeakable? So before we get done today, and, and, and there's going to be a lot of verses because I'm going to let the Word of God speak more than anything I might add. But there will be a lot of verses. Before you leave today, you need to leave knowing that living for Jesus brings joy. So here, here's, here's, now I'm going I'm to give you my whole sermon in a nutshell several times. Is that fair enough? But if you're living for God and it's not joyful, you're doing it wrong. All right? There's something wrong. And we're going to explain that. But, uh, but it goes, why don't you stand? Did it help you sing this old song? And why don't you sing it with me? Unspeakable and full of glory, it's full of
say where I'm preaching, but First Peter chapter 1, it, it is say that though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. The King James says it's joy unspeakable and full or filled with glory. I want to read one verse in your stand, while you're standing, Psalms 37, 4. And this is, this is the, the, the main part of this. You're going to see one of these words over and over and over and over. Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How many of you would love for him to give you the desires of your heart? Then delight yourself in the Lord. And, and just, I don't know that I have this in my notes, because it's, yeah, I could go a lot of different directions, but if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will help you with what your heart desires. Because where your heart is, your treasures are. I know I kind of got that backwards, but I did it on purpose. Where your heart is, there's your treasure. And when your treasure is Jesus Christ, then your heart will be in the right spot. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I, I have a, a several old books in my, in my library. I've got almost the complete set of Spurgeon's Metropolitan Library. He was an uh, uh, incredible uh, theologian and, and pastor and preacher in the 1800s, and, and uh, I've got many of his books. He also wrote some commentary, and he wrote some uh, uh, just, just different books. But one of the things that I like, and I have read a lot of it, is he wrote a devotion, a daily devotion, and you can read something. And so, if you will, I want to quote from a daily devotional, and, and for the next four or so paragraphs that I read or quote, just know they're coming from Charles Spurgeon. And I want you, as I read this, I want you to think about what it says. The teaching, so, so he pulls from where we just pulled, Psalms 37, 4. The teaching of these words must be very surprising to those who are strangers to vital godliness. But to the sincere believer, it is only a reminder of the recognized truth that the life of a believer is described as a delight in God. We are reminded of the great fact that genuine faith overflows with happiness and joy. Ungodly persons and mere professors will never look upon religion as a joyful thing. To them, it's a service 
a duty or a necessity, but never a pleasure or delight. If they attend to religion at all, it's because of either what they might get or because they are afraid of the consequences of neglect. The thought of delight in religious exercise is so strange to most men that two words in their language, that, that no two words in their language stand further apart than holiness and delight. But believers know that Christ, that our believers who know Christ understand that delight and faith are so wonderfully united that the gates of hell cannot manage to separate them. Those who love God with all their hearts find that His ways are ways of pleasantness. His ways are paths of peace. The saints discover in Christ such joy, such overflowing delight, such blessedness that far from serving Him from custom, that they would follow Him through the whole world, or, or though the whole world rejects him. We do not fear God because of any compulsion. Our faith is no shackle. Our profession is no bondage. We're not dragged to holiness nor driven to duty. No, our piety is our pleasure. Our hope is our happiness. And our duty is our delight. Delight and true faith are as interwoven as root and flower, as indivisible as truth and certainty. In fact, they are two precious stones glittering side by side in a setting of gold. You know, I read that and got to looking at it and I, I said, you know, there's, there's some truth to that. You ever met, maybe, maybe you have and hopefully you haven't, but, but I would guess that all of us have found ourselves in that place before. You ever serve God just because you had to or because you feared if you didn't? Was it your duty? Was it your service? Was it your necessity? But the longer I'm alive, the more I realize serving God should never be a drag. Serving God should never be a drudgery. Serving God should never be something that you dread. It is a delight. In the years past, I, I went back and looked, and I think if my, my records are correct, I preached it in 2016, I preached it in 2019, so here we are in 2022, and I'm not going to preach it in its entirety, but I preach a message called Learning to Be Content. And probably my favorite thing about the message is the sermon slide. I had Sister Shay uh, make it so it, it, it gets a little bigger on the screen, but, but that's, that's where it is. Learning to be content. Because it's something that, that we struggle with, being content. Like the parable of Ali Hafid in, in ancient Persia who owned a very large form, farm that had orchards and grain fields and garden. He was a wealthy man. He had everything his heart desired. Until one day someone came from the east and told him uh, about diamonds and how wealthy he would be if he would own a diamond mine. And so Ali Afid went to bed that night a poor man. Poor because he was discontented. Even though he had everything his heart desired, he craved a mine of diamonds and so he sold his farm in order to search for diamonds. He traveled the world over. He, he dug so many holes into potential ground and potential mines. He became poor. He became broken. He became defeated in, in so much that he committed suicide. One day, they put his farm up for sale and the man that bought his farm led his camel into the garden to drink. And as the man with the camel let, his, let the nose of that camel into the brook, he saw a flash of light from the stream. He pulled out a stone. That man 
had discovered the gold mine of Golconda, one of the most magnificent diamond mines, not gold mines, diamond mines of all time. That the very thing that Ali Hafid had been searching for was right in his garden the whole time. Because that's how we are. We get discontented. And we, we go from there. I, I'm just kind of giving you a few points from that sermon of learning to be content that that uh, Ecclesiastes, the smartest man that ever walked the face of this earth, Solomon, he said it this way. He said, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that true wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more the people come to help you spend it. Ain't that the truth? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Verse 15, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and as empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And so it is that we, we, we see learning to be content. I've told this story before of, uh, of the, the fisherman that was there in South America just loving life. He, he, he was there in that Brazilian village. He had a small rowboat. And, and uh, one day there was a businessman that was at the resort and he saw that, that fisherman coming into shore. He had, had a few good sized fish there and the businessman was impressed and he said, how long does it take you to catch those fish? That old Brazilian said, oh, it just takes a, a few, few, just a short while, just a, maybe, maybe an hour or two. And he said, well, you know, if you'd stay out a little er, uh, longer, you could catch more fish. And the fisherman said, well, I don't need more fish. This is enough to feed my family. He said, yeah, but you could take it to the, 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 the fish market and you could sell it and you can make some money. And, and so you could, you could do that. And so I can help you. I have a Ph.D. in business management. I can help you become a good businessman. Here's what you need to do. Stay, spend as much time at sea as you can. Fish as much as you can. Try to catch as many fish. When you got enough money saved, buy a bigger boat, catch more fish. And then pretty soon you'll have a few more boats. And then you can open your own fishing, uh, you, you know, canning factory, if you will. And, and then you can move out of this village and you can move to San Pablo there in Brazil. You can set up a headquarters and manage your other branches. And then after that, you can retire and you can go home and you can live a life of luxury and spend time with your family. You can move to a house by the fishing village, wake up in the morning, catch a few fish, return home, play with your kids, have a nice afternoon nap, and, and go to bed. And the man said, isn't that what I'm doing right now? But that's how we are. We, we run the rat race, and then about the time we're ready to enjoy life, we're broken, and our bodies don't move the way it used to move, and it's hard to enjoy it because... We don't learn to be content. Philippians, Paul wrote and recorded in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned. For whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Contentment is an amazing thing. I'm not going to ask you, and I, I don't want you even just to answer it quickly, but I would ask this question, are you really content? Are you really happy with the life you have? One man became envious of his friends, became envious because they had larger and better homes. And so what we're seeing right now, people throw their home up for sale and they get more money than they ever dreamed of it, and so he was going to sell his home. He was going to purchase a more, impression, a more uh, impressionable home. And so he talked to a realtor and 
got it all set up, got it all listed, and he had that realtor searching for his dream home. And one day he opened the paper and he saw it. It's exactly what he was wanting. He called his realtor up and he, he described, he said, this is the house I've dreamed for. I want to go look at it. I want to put an offer on it as soon as possible. And so the realtor began to ask him a few questions. And finally the realtor shook his head and said, son, that's your house you're describing. You ever done that? You ever sold something and realized you really liked it? Sold that car, got a new car, but the new car didn't drive the way the old car drove. He, he goes on to say, uh, uh, Paul does, he, he, or, or uh, in, to First Timothy, he says, For godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I just kind of threw that in there because I think every once in a while in life, we need that kind of a reminder. We need that reminder in life that what's on the other side of the fence isn't necessarily greater than what you have. That the idea of the future isn't always as bright as you really think it is. That uh, the writer of Hebrews said in verse 5 of Hebrews 13, Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so, just kind of as a, as a part one of the message, before I get into light, part one, be careful that you don't always covet. For that, that's kind of one of those Ten Commandments. You know, if you do it, I don't know that the Lord's very happy with us. But, but let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you may have. But I would challenge you today, more so, and, and it's a great, goal, more so than being content or learning to be content, I would challenge you today to learn to delight in the Lord. So I want to go back to Psalms 37 and verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. What, is, what does delight mean? One of the great definitions of delight, it's a pleasure that causes enjoyment and relish. I do not delight in vacuuming the house. It does not give me any contentment. It does not give me any joy. It's not anything I relish. I hate it. My wife, on the other hand, somehow enjoys it. In so much, now she's downstairs, you don't have to tell her I'm talking about her. In so much that sometimes late at night she vacuums so she can put those little stripes in the carpet. If I lived by myself, I probably wouldn't vacuum. I'd make sure it's clean, but I just I hate vacuuming. Now, on the other hand, I love mowing the grass. I love putting the stripes in the grass. I don't know why it's different, but get me outside, I enjoy it. I relish mowing the grass. I enjoy mowing the grass. It's, a, it's something that causes enjoyment. But again, if I could bring you to the weight of the message, if you are living for God and it's a drag, it's a duty, it's drudgery, you're doing it wrong. So how do you find delight in God? That's the question. How do you find delight in God? What does it mean? What does it take for you to say living for God causes me enjoyment 
It, I relish living for God. I get up in the morning saying, thank you for letting me live, Lord. I get up in the morning, and, I, and, 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 and I'm, I'm hoping this is you as well, that you get up in the morning and you can't wait to read the Bible. You can't wait to sing a worship song somewhere. You can't wait to, to give Him praise. I hope on Sunday mornings you can't wait to get to church or on a Wednesday night or a Bible study. What causes you to have joy Living for God. Well, the first thing, and if you go and look at, which is what I've done tonight, if you go and look at all the places in the Bible that talks about delighting in the Lord, the majority of them hang on this. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Psalms chapter 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. So, I'm going to read a bunch of verses. I, uh, I made... Uh, Sister Jeannie Lowe back there, very happy. She delights when I give her notes that I've written, and it has everything kind of word for word. She delights in that. She doesn't like it when I hand her a business card that scratched on the back my title, and that kind of messes her up. So today I, I gave her, I made it something she delights in. So she has them all, she'll throw them up on the screen. But, but Psalms 119, that's what we're in. Verse 16. Verse 35, verse 47, verse 92, verse 143, verse 174, all talk about delighting in the Lord. And here's what they say, verse 16, I will delight in your statutes, I will not forget your word. Psalms 119.35, lead me in the paths of your commandments, for I delight in it. Psalms 147, or Psalms 119.47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Or verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Or, or 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Or verse 174, I long for your salvation, O Lord. Your law is my delight. I love it. There is something about it. It's what I have preached on for the last three or four years. When you make this your delight, it changes your life. I don't know how to say it any clearer than the way I've been saying it. I think you're getting it because every Sunday I come in, I see Bibles in your hand. I, I, I see things you're putting on Facebook where you're talking about what you've read. I, I watch our hyphen class and others. They've got journals out and they're writing. They're, I, I, I'm here today to tell you that the first and foremost thing for you to fall in love with Jesus Christ is to fall in love with His Word. Fall in love with what He Says And the psalmist said it over and over, I delight in His Word. You get into the Word of God, it will change your appetite. You get in the Word of God, those temptations that you're struggling with will, will almost always start, start fading away. If you do nothing else but get in the Word of God, you'll find your temptations will be less than when, they were, when, when you weren't reading God's Word. So, so the first thing, if you want to make living for God a pleasure, if you want to make living for God an enjoyment, then delight yourself in God's Word. That's the first thing. 
The second thing, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1 through 2. Isaiah is, is uh, this is the Lord speaking to that, that children of Israel, but it says, cry aloud, don't hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. They delight to draw near to God. There is something about living for God. Did you know it, it makes no sense to say I, I, I delight myself in God but not desire to get nearer to God. I, I could take this in another thing. The Proverbs talks about to, to, to the husband, to the spouse, delight yourself in your spouse. Don't go searching for pleasure. Don't go searching for things outside the bonds of marriage. That's, that's just kind of a free, freebie there. But it's that same thing. It'd be, be very interesting for me to profess my undying love to my wife, but never want to spend any time with her. Be interesting to profess my undying love to God, but never want to spend any time with Him. But the fact that you're here on a Wednesday night tells me that's not you. And so it is that those who delight to know His ways, to delight to draw near to God, that any chance you get to be in His presence, it could be driving down the highway, you, you got your, your music playing and one of those worship songs comes in. In fact, today... Uh, Zeke was driving me in the truck. We were coming to church today, and uh, we play all sorts of music and uh, sometimes crazy kid music. But I said, Zeke, let, it's church time. Let's listen to some just some some good God music. And and so we uh, we put in uh, just some incredible uh, apostolic worship. And he went to sleep because he was tired. But I'm just driving down the highway. All of a sudden, the presence of God just snuck in that truck cab. And, and I, I felt an unction, just a, a word from the Lord. It's because those that delight in drawing near to God, that's how you relish and enjoy living for Him. Now, I'm going to take this a little bit. We don't believe in a literal Sabbath day. We're not, we don't hold to it there. The, the Lord Himself and His Later teachings in the New Testament, he began to say, we don't have to esteem one day greater than another. I'll tell you right now, the reason we have church on Sunday is probably because the Presbyterians had church on Sunday. That's where a lot of our customs come from. If you really want to search it back, you'll find it. It started back in the late 1700s, early 1800s when the Presbyterian church came. A lot of what we have comes out of that. But, but if we had church on Saturday, if we had church on Thursday, whatever day it might be, that's kind of how I look. The Bible says, Isaiah 58, 13, that, that if you will call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. I believe you can live for God on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But there's something special about Sunday. And that's because the children of God come together and we begin to worship together. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to worship when someone next to you is singing the same song? I mean, I do pray on my own and I read on my own and I worship on my own, but I love coming together and worshiping uh, with others of like faith. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to make living for God a, a pleasure, then learn to worship with others in church. 
it's, uh, I love what the psalmist said, Psalms 94, 16 through, through 19. It's, it's David, and, and he's, he's got some issues. He, he's, he's fighting some things. He says, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? He's kind of asking a rhetorical question. But then he changes. He said, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have lived in a land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. If you read that in the King James, it says, When in the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. You know why living for God for Brandon Buford is easy? Because I've had some dark days and some dark moments. When I begin to think, and if I was going to let my mind run, it would have taken me to some, to some dangerous places. But there in the middle of my mind, the Lord renewed my thoughts. And the Lord showed me that he's never let my foot slip. He's never let his seed beg bread. And in the multitude of my thoughts that are within me, I realize his comforts delight my soul. I'm better living for God than living without him. I, my my, my, my uh, life... My marriage, my family, everything about me is better when I delight myself in the presence of God. It goes back to Psalms 1. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalms 16, 3 and, and Psalms 35 Flip the script a little bit. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And then Psalms 35, 27, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servants. Can I just tell you this? The more you find delight in him... Just know he's sitting there going, I find my delight in you. You know what, what, what gives God enjoyment? You know what give God relish, if, if, if I can put him in that? A saint that loves him. A child of God that gets up in the morning and, and brushing your teeth and you just say, man, thank you for this day. Because it goes back to Psalms 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 48, 40 and 8, I delight to do your will. Your law is in my heart. But there's two verses that, that I, I want to pull from as I, I come to a close today, talking about what it means to live for God. There's a lot of things that that we preach. I, I do my very best to preach the whole counsel of the Bible. To preach everything that, that, that is applicable to the life of a saint today. There are some things that God hates. There are some things that God doesn't want us to do. Yeah, there's a list of don'ts. 
and a list of if you do this or if you if you do this you live if you don't do this you're going to die I understand all that there's some there's some ways of holiness that God desires some lifestyle changes that God's desires I had a conversation the other day with with a, an assistant pastor and and we got to talking about it and he's with another organization but we got talking and we came to the same conclusion that it's absolutely foolish for someone to say they're saved and not changed. Regardless of however you want to define salvation in whatever denominal way you want to do it. But for someone to say I'm saved and nothing changes is foolish. So yes, there's a change. I've preached just last couple of Sundays. There's a sacrifice that we've got to make. But you know what? I, I don't see... Nowhere in the Bible does it say living for God needs to be dull, dry, boring, painful. No, in fact, here's what it says. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, I'm pretty sure an atheist would like those in their life. Who doesn't want joy? Who doesn't want love? Who doesn't want peace and patience and kindness? Or Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Would you stand with me today? It may not be the most spiritual of all messages, but it might just be the most practical of all messages you ever had somebody say you know how many of you love Jesus now can you let your face know that you love Jesus you know you, you've heard it. Ah, growing up why do you do what you do why you dress the way you dress why you act the way you dress and just like every kid well it's because that's what my church tells me to do because my mama makes me do it no I live this way because I want to live this way. I come to church not just because I'm pastor. I mean, sometimes I, I guess there have been days I've thought about, you know, I'm going to stay home and my wife has to remind me, hey, you're pastor, you kind of have to be there. I mean, y'all think that, so I figure I can. But I want to come to church. Why? Because coming to church, when I get into his presence, it's joy, it's love, it's peace, it's gentleness, it's kindness, it's goodness. And so today, I just reiterate, if you're living for God and it's painful, if you're living for God and it's drudgery and it's dull, if you're living for God and it just seems like you're going through the motions, if it seems so hard, you're doing it wrong. Living for God ought to bring you the greatest joy. In fact, what, what, what does the, the, the Bible say about joy of, of parenting? I have no greater joy than... To see my children walk in the truth. Well, they're probably not going to walk in the truth unless you walk in the truth. Or at least that's how you're going to have your joy. And so it is that even that goes back to this. Let life be joyful living for the Lord. I wonder if you could just lift your hands for a moment. Just let me put the mic down for, for, for just, just a few minutes. And would you just talk with the Lord? Maybe do a, a, a self-reflection and look at your life. Look at your life living for God. Does it bring you joy? Or, 
or is it aggravating? Is it frustrating? And if it is, would you ask right now the Lord to forgive you? Would you ask the Lord to show you? And would you ask the Lord to help you find that joy?